Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. You know, maybe you're the sort of person, you're like me, you're, you're kind of particular, and you don't like last-minute changes. Maybe the devil's trying to distract you from the message that God would have you hear today. Maybe you've got to this point in the service and you've decided, you know, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to think about what's happening this week. I'm just going to do my time in my seat and then we'll get on with our day. But I really want you to tune in and I want you to lean in because God is putting a heavy word on my heart this week. Did you happen to hear what Pat said up here this morning? And Pat, if you watch this later, I'm not throwing you under the bus. But he said, oftentimes, sometimes, I forget what the exact wording was, but he gets more sometimes from talking to those six, eight boys up there than he does sitting in the sermon. (laughs) Pat. But you know what? I would have to agree. And that's why groups are so important. If you're not in a life group where you can ask life's big questions, where you have relationships, where you can bounce opinions off one another, you're only going part way in the journey of understanding scripture. We're going through the Bible in three years. Uh, In life groups, many of our life groups are going through that same journey. In journey kids, they're going through the same journey through the Bible in three years. We want to know God's word. We want to live God's word. We want to trust in and stand on God's word. Because what else do we have to say? So, we're going to be talking about Habakkuk this morning. You know what? For almost every other prophet, we're given information, right? We know their hometown. We might know their parents. We might know their occupation. We might know their tribe. We just know his name. So can you say Habakkuk with me? Say Habakkuk. That's all we have. Habakkuk. Do you know what Habakkuk means? It doesn't mean a sneeze or like coughing up a fur ball. I've heard some speakers point that out. It means to wrestle and at the same time to embrace. To wrestle and to embrace. And that's the theme of the book. Habakkuk's name is the theme of the book. Habakkuk's name could also be a plant in ancient Mesopotamia. When you think about a plant, I think about Jeremiah 17.7. We looked at Jeremiah last week. Jeremiah 17.7 and 8, it says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree that is planted by the water, sends out its roots, by the streams, and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit, because its roots stretch deep into the stream. Its roots embrace the ground, the solid foundation, and then its branches are free to wrestle with the weather and the elements. Do you see the picture? Habakkuk's name means to wrestle with the struggles in life, but to embrace the goodness of God simultaneously. That's faith. Habakkuk is the minor prophet with questions. Some call him the Old Testament version of doubting Thomas. Habakkuk is an unusual minor prophet because he doesn't take God's message to the people. Generally, he takes the people's message and question and doubts and fears and frustrations to God. He doesn't take God's message to the people. He takes the people's message and he stands before God. That's the kind of minor prophet that Habakkuk is. He stood before God with the questions that everyone was asking. Why is there so much evil in this world? Why is there so much suffering? Do you ever ask that question? Maybe you know people who if you told them about God, maybe you've had this question in the past and they say, how can you believe in a God that allows evil and suffering in this world? Big question. A lot of people struggle with that. Habakkuk asks life's big questions. And he asks the questions the people are asking 
before God. Today we're going to talk through the book of Habakkuk and ask some questions of our own. Is it okay to question God? This is a polarizing topic. Is it okay? Can we question God? Is it okay if we have some doubts in our heart? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We're going to ask some questions of our own today. So Habakkuk chapter 1. Verse 1 says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, which is like a vision, a prophecy, God allows him to see what's coming in the future. That's the prophecy that we're talking about this morning. If you look at verse 2, here's question number 1. Are you ready? These aren't easy questions. Just bear with me. Verse 2. O Lord, how long? How long? Long. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? I don't know what you've seen in your life. Habakkuk saw some terrible things. Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Verse 4, so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. That's a big statement. Do you ever have questions like that? That you're looking for answers for? I don't think I've ever yelled or screamed at somebody's face. I, I don't think I have. That's not the type of guy I am. I would rather back up. And, but when I'm driving in the car by myself, <laughs> that's when I have my emotional prayers and passionate cries and screams, don't you? And sometimes I get home and my voice is hoarse. And Elsie says, are you losing your voice? Yeah. Can you sense the emotion? Habakkuk sees what has happened to the northern kingdom of Israel. The kingdom's divided. You have the northern kingdom on the border of Assyria. The Assyrians have taken the northern kingdom. You have the southern kingdom of Israel, which is Judah, Jerusalem. And they're on the brink of captivity. Josiah is about to die. King Josiah, we talked about him two weeks ago. He's about to die. The nation is about to go into captivity. Habakkuk is seeing all of this. I Personally, I don't know if you say Habakkuk or Habakkuk, but I kind of fall into Habakkuk, so I'm going to say that. He looks out. He sees all this evil. He says, God, where are you? When are you going to do something? How long are you going to let this linger on? My brothers in Israel are in captivity. Many of them have died. They've lost their kids. They've lost their parents. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their homes. They've lost everything. When are you going to do something? You know, I just really want you to see that this is a struggle that we all face. I don't know that I've ever sat and spoke, but I'm just going to try it here. This is a conversation. I want you to hear right from the horse's mouth, I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. Is it okay to question God? Is it okay to doubt and not understand? Uh, when I turned 20 years old, I had an autoimmune disorder that came out from the depths of my biological system. And I had these open sores and blisters and raw flesh come out of my body and in my mouth. Mouth full of blood, couldn't eat for a couple weeks, lost a lot of weight. When I turned 20, I got sent from doctor to doctor down to Halifax to see dermatological specialists. They took pictures of me for scientific research. You ever been in that situation? I was put on heavy steroids and medications. I was misdiagnosed numerous times until we finally figured out what it was after two weeks of not eating. 
I was put on heavy steroids, 16 pills a day, then eight, then four, then two. Now I'm on a pill that I take every morning for the rest of my life so that my body doesn't destroy itself. How is that fair? 20 years old, I should be in the best health of my life. Uh, I had a friend come to me in tears and they had seen signs that his wife was going to lose the pregnancy for another time. So we prayed. And praise God, God answered that prayer. And today, there's a beautiful child because God came through. But I have other friends who didn't get to see that, that face and hear that cry. I have a friend that I went to college with, just a little bit older than me. His wife died of cancer. And he's got to answer his little daughter almost every day. Why? Why would God let that happen? Why wouldn't God step in? My friend Tyler committed suicide. He left a note at the top of the stairs going down to the basement and said, Mom, please don't come to the basement. Just call 911. Why? There are parents who are wrecked. His brother is wrecked. How is that fair? I don't have the answers. I would love to stand up here and say, here's the one-size-fits-all silver bullet, pray this prayer, God's going to answer it, health and wealth type of gospel. That sounds really good in times like that. But that's not real. That's not how it works. Sometimes God answers like that. Sometimes it's the answer we're expecting. Sometimes it's not. What do you do when the struggle's real and God seems absent? Habakkuk asked the question, God, where are you? Why are you letting all of this happen? He looks around and he sees the destruction. He sees the trials. He sees the trouble. He sees people being taken away from their homes, away from their family. He says, God, how long? When are you going to answer? When are you going to do something? You know, I've shared some of my stories, but I guarantee you have stories of your own where you've seen the effects of sin in the lives of your loved one, your coworkers, your classmates, in your own life. But you know what? God answers. And here's the first answer. You ready for this? Answer number one, verse five. Look among the nations. Look around. Do you ever feel like you get in your struggle and all you can see is right here, right now, and God tells Habakkuk to look up, look around, look at the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work. Do you believe God's working? Have you seen God at work in your life? I am doing a work in your days, not way back when. Not a hundred years in the future when somebody gets the correct formula and figures it all out. God is working right here, right now in your days, Habakkuk. In the midst of this struggle, you would not believe if told. <laughs> For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Here's one of the big barriers to seeing God's answers in our life. Are you ready for this? I believe this with my whole heart. One of the biggest barriers to seeing God's answer to your prayers in your struggle is this. Expectations. You see, we pray for God to speak to this struggle at this time for this purpose in this way and that's the answer that I need, God. And if it's an answer that doesn't look and fit and feel like that, then it's not the right answer. Have you ever made plans and then asked God to bless them? Right? We pray prayers and then ask God to answer the way that we think it should be answered. But oftentimes, God's answer doesn't fit in the bounds of our expectations, does it? And we can only see later on, maybe never before eternity, when we look back and see God's hand working it through it all. And his answer truly was there. God always answers 
God tells Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. How many know that God never gives you the whole story, he just gives you the next step? Because if he gave you the whole story, it would blow your mind. You couldn't even get out of bed in the morning. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. So I'll tell you anyway. Verse 6. For behold, look, see, here's the vision. I am raising up the Chaldeans, who are the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Verse 7. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. Verse 9. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at the rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth like a ramp, and they take it. They climb over the wall. That's how powerful this nation is. Verse 11, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Really, God? That's your answer? I'm talking about the Assyrians who've taken my brothers, murdered my friends and family, and to answer that struggle, you're going to raise up an even greater struggle? Really, God? How is that fair? How does that work? You're going to conquer evil with more evil? Like, how am I supposed to wrap my head around that? Habakkuk goes to God on behalf of the people and asks the questions the people were asking. Here's the thing. God's always for us. God is so for us that sometimes he has to stand against us to draw us back and point us back and redirect us back to himself for our own good. Just like when you have to discipline a child, you have to redirect them back to the right and proper way. And God was constantly inviting his people back. God was sending leaders. God was sending judges. God was sending kings. Now God is sending prophets. But eventually the people refused the God who created them. And judgment and justice and punishment is on the way. Just like the sin and evil in our own hearts. If not for the blood of Jesus Christ, then justice and judgment and punishment are on the way. But the Babylonians, I mean, they're just as evil, if not worse, than the Assyrians. So he's got more questions. More questions. Verse 12. Habakkuk speaking to God. It's a wonder he didn't just get struck dead. Right? Look at what he says. God, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God. Don't lose sight of that. He's embracing as he's wrestling. My Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. He understands that. Judgment's coming for evil. And you, O Rock, he's embracing while he's wrestling, have established them for a reproof. Habakkuk understands that the people chased after false gods and God is bringing them back. God is sending judgment and justice on their evil and idolatry. Verse 13. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you just sit there and look at traitors? That's what it says. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? You see, from Habakkuk's perspective, Israel, God's people, Judah, the city of Jerusalem, was more righteous and less wicked than the Babylonians. So why would God use a wicked nation like the Babylonians against his people, his own people? Verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. The Babylonians, he, brings all of them up with a hook, which is a picture often used of captivity. He drags them with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. 
And he makes offerings to his dragnet, for because of them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Why do the wicked prosper? Verse 17. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? God, are you just going to let this happen? These evil Babylonians treat their nets as their God. They live in luxury, have good food and riches. And we're your people and we're facing the end. How is that fair? And that's the end of the chapter. And you know what? I think for many of us, we're stuck in chapter one. That's where we leave the story right there. We ask God's questions, we don't get the answer that we expect, and we're left right there wondering, does God care? Is he ever going to do anything? How come he hasn't spoken? How come he hasn't acted? How come he hasn't stepped in? How come he hasn't sent a judge or a king or a ruler or somebody? And then you come to Sunday, and we gather as a church, and there's smiling faces, there's friends, there's family, We're singing about, God, you're never going to let me down. But if people really knew the thoughts and the emotions of my heart, if I really told people, if I didn't put a face and a smile on, if I really let people know what I was thinking and how I was feeling and how I was doubting and frustrated, I wouldn't be a good enough Christian to be here. You know, I want you to know, I can't speak for every church, but Faith Baptist Church is not a museum for perfect pieces of art. I wouldn't be up here. Faith Baptist Church is a hospital for the sick. Faith Baptist Church is a school for the immature and the weak. Faith Baptist Church is a safe place to come and to be vulnerable and to bring your problems and your struggles and the hurts and the burdens of your heart. That's what Faith Baptist Church is. We're all about sharing the journey. We get to come alongside people, share the journey, the highs and lows, and point them to the only hope that is God. The only one who can really change their story. The only one who can really turn dead things to life. The only one who's ever going to make a difference in their life. This isn't just another helping institution. This is God's institution on earth. And there is no greater calling than to be a part of a local church that gets to point people to Jesus Christ. There's no greater calling. No greater calling. Maybe we even get the gospel twisted thinking that, you know, I just need to try harder. I just need to force a smile. I just need to make this happen. You know, doubt is the opposite of faith. It's not, actually. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is the opposite of faith. Because if you're certain about everything, you don't need faith. If you know all the answers, if you're in control, if you have the backup plan and plan C as well, you don't need faith. The writer of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen, not yet seen. When you don't have the answers, but you choose to embrace and stand firm, that's faith. We call ourselves Faith Baptist Church. How much faith are you exercising in your life right now? Do you know where your food's going to come from? Do you know you have a warm place to sleep? Do you know you have friends and family who would take you in if you lost your house? Do you know you have a bank account that you can rely on? Do you know you have an employer who will take care of you? Do you know that you have all these checkpoints and balances in place to protect yourself? Or are you expressing faith in the unknown? Faith Baptist Church. So what do we do with doubt and questions? When life seems unfair, God seems absent because we think he's silent. What do you do with your questions? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says this. This is the climax for me. This is the part that's been on my heart. I will take my stand at my watch post. 
and I will station myself on the tower. And I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk climbs the watchtower. They're probably inside the city of Jerusalem. There would be stations up on the wall where people could stand, watch, and they could see if the enemy was coming in the distance. Now, God has already shown Habakkuk that the enemy is coming. The Babylonians are coming. That is God's current answer to the struggle that they're in. The Babylonians are going to take over the Assyrians. Habakkuk doesn't like the answer. He doesn't understand the answer, but he says, God, I'm going to take my stand. I'm going to station myself right here. I'm going to embrace who you are. My faith and my hope is forever on the foundation that is God. And I'm going to wrestle with these questions. He doesn't run. He doesn't jump the fence. He doesn't run off to another organization. He doesn't run off to another city. He stands firm. You know, I think we're way too transient these days. There was a day where you got a job and you held that job and you retired from that job with the watch after so many years. But that's not the generation we're in today. And good or bad is not the point I'm trying to make. But what I'm saying is many of us changed our major. Many of us changed our career. Many of us went out west to work for a little while. Many of us tried to start up business. Many of us have been trying different things. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's not my point right now. But my point is, when things get tough, how's your patience? How's your faithfulness? How's your steadfastness? How do you embrace God in the tough struggles of life? Or are you tempted to jump the fence, to abandon ship, to run away from your problems and escape? I think we're way too transient these days. You know, I just want to praise God. Remembrance Day is tomorrow. We live in a free country because veterans paid the ultimate price and stood their ground for our freedom. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, men and women paid the ultimate sacrifice and laid down their lives. They didn't run away when things got tough. They didn't run away when the battle started raging and the bullets started flying. Instead, they leaned in, they fought on, they stood their ground. And we are here today celebrating our freedom and remembering their sacrifice. We need to stand our ground. On Station Road, we're going to station ourselves. We're going to stand our ground. Praise God for men and women in this church who've been here 40 years plus, through the thick and through the thin. And today we get to stand on their shoulders and enjoy everything that you see here in the community, the opportunity to preach a pure and true gospel because men and women stuck it out through the thick and the thin. How do you stand firm in your struggle? Habakkuk took a stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I love this verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You might feel like you're losing ground, but stand your ground because in God your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, and then he gets another answer. What, what if you threw in the towel right before the answer came? What if you didn't wait it out just that extra 10 minutes to see God's answer unfold? Stand firm. Verse 2 and 3, back of chapter 2. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is specifically speaking about the Babylonians that he gave Habakkuk a vision for. They will not delay. They will come. Stand in the tower. You will see my answer unfold before your very eyes. How many of us are waiting for an answer from God today? We're waiting for an answer. And how many know that God always answers? It might not be according to our expectations, but he often and always gives 
an answer, whether we like it, whether we choose to see it, whether we agree with it or not, but it's waiting its appointed time. Pastor Craig Rochelle from Life Church, he has this statement which I absolutely love. He says, if it's not God's time, you can't force it. But if it is God's time, you're not going to be able to stop it. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. If it is God's time, you'll never be able to stop it. All of God's answers have an appointed time. He has the plan in motion. The things that he's doing behind the scenes would blow your mind. You wouldn't understand it if he told you. Waiting the appointed time. If, even if it seems slow, wait for it. Don't give up. Don't run away. Wait for it. It will surely come. And then we have this verse, which many call the key verse of Habakkuk. Chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 2 and verse 4. Behold, speaking about Babylon, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But my people, the righteous, shall live by his faith. Not live according to the law, not live according to the plan that is prescribed and you just follow the steps, living in times of uncertainty, wrestling with the struggle, but embracing God's goodness, living by faith. That's how God tells us we should live. Romans 1.17, for in the righteousness of God is revealed for, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.37, yet a little while, wait for it, and the coming one will come and will not delay. You know Jesus is coming again? And even if you don't see your answer right here, right now, we know that the ultimate answer is victory. And Jesus is going to ride in and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. No matter what name your struggle takes, it's got to fall to the name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every knee will bow at Jesus and his coming. Hebrews 10, 38 my righteous one shall live by faith. Live by faith. That's the key verse. Faith is embracing God when life seems unfair. When you look back across your life and somebody asks you, where have you seen God at work? Where have you seen God's goodness? Where have you seen God's faithfulness? You know, oftentimes people point back to struggles and trials where it didn't seem to make sense then but since then, they've seen God's goodness at work. Now, I'm not saying you have an answer now for every struggle that you went through, but oftentimes if you ask somebody where they've seen God, it's in the struggles and the trials of life. It's said that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. I see God the clearest when I'm in pain and I realize my own insignificance and frailty. You know, if you need electrical work, you call an electrician, right? You don't refuse to use the electricity because you don't understand it. If you start a renovation job at your home and you run into some snags and problems, you don't set the tools away and say, ah, well, maybe some of you do for a time, but eventually you got to say, I'm not going to leave it just because I don't understand or don't know how to do it. I'm going to call somebody who does, like a carpenter who's going to come and fix this. Now, when you're using your computer and then all of a sudden a glitch happens or a virus or something like that, you take it to a computer technician. You don't throw it in the garbage because you don't understand what to do with it now. So why do we do it with God? There's so many times in life where we don't understand God. Can I tell you, it's all the time. His ways are higher than our ways. You're never going to understand the whole picture of God, but he gives you little glimpses. He gives us the revelation of his word. We get to see parts and pieces of God. He's displayed the gospel for us very clearly on how we can have a relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can have new life because of the sacrifice of his son. But oftentimes, all the time, we don't understand the totality of who God is. So are we going to throw it in the garbage? Or are we going to embrace God and express faith 
in the midst of our struggle. I like that. Right on, man. God agrees with Habakkuk. God agrees with Habakkuk. The Babylonians are wicked. And then he lists six sinful characteristics of the Babylonians. We're going to fly through these. Are you ready? Verse 5, they're proud. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. You know, the Babylonians were famous for their drinking and their drunken parties. In fact, it was in one of those situations where King Cyrus of the Persians takes over Babylon because they're so drunk in their drunken party. The Babylonians were greedy. Verse 6, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your own debtors suddenly arise? And those who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. Do you see what God's saying? The evil in your life is going to be paid back to you, Babylonians. There is an answer for the evil of the Babylonians. The Babylonians were dishonest. Look at verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high. Jump to verse 11. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. You ever heard the story of the telltale heart? I'm not going to explain the story, but your guilt, your sin will find you out. Those Babylonians sat in their palace and they looked at the stones, they looked at the wood that it was constructed of, and it reminded them of the screams and the murderous acts that they did to achieve those things. God was getting a hold of them. The Babylonians were violent. Verse 12 Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Do you ever feel like you shovel the driveway and it snows the next day and you think this is just a continual round of pleasure? Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, there's coming a day when even Babylon is going to bow the knee to the name of Jesus Christ. The Babylonians were sensual. Verse 15, Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. And then he says, the same is going to happen to you. And then finally, the Babylonians were idol worshipers. Look at this. This is really funny language. Verse 18, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can these things teach? What if I told you that each one of us most likely has an idol at home? Most of today's culture has an idol at home. And we put big amounts of money into it. We bow down to it. Some of us for hours a day, we carry it around. If it's broken, we'll pay big money to get it fixed or to get a new one. It's in our car. It's at work. If it sends us a message, we've got to get to it and we've got to look at it. And you know how often we bow down? Here's what it looks like right here. And we say to the thing that man has made, hey, Google, Siri. No, oftentimes I read about idol worship and I think, nobody's got a wooden image in their house that they bow down to. How many idols are in our own lives? You see, the thing was, Habakkuk was looking at his people as God's people and looking at the Babylonians as evil and wicked. But the truth was, his people had the law. They knew better. The Babylonians were blind. They didn't have the law. So in reality, Judah was more at account than the Babylonians for all of their evil. Habakkuk had gotten this twisted. But God on his throne is on his holy temple. He is omniscient. He knows all. He's working out his plans and purposes. It's not deism. It's not this cosmic clockmaker who wound the clock up and then he's just letting things unfold and he's sitting back and watching. God is involved. God is invested. God knows every hair on your head. He takes care of the sparrows. He's going to take care of you. That evil that weighs heavy on our life, that sin that is a struggle on your family, that sickness and plague, at your school, that cancer or miscarriage or depression will come to an end. Do you believe that? 
how incredible it is when it comes to an end and we get to see the miracle before our very eyes. I've seen it. But for many people, they're going to have to wait until that day when every knee bows at the name of Jesus Christ and every tear is wiped from every eye because the sorrow of this world is no more. Whether we see it now or whether we have to wait until then, there is coming an end to your struggle. There is coming an end to your pain and suffering. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then we have the hope of eternity with God and the sorrows and issues and sin of this life will be wiped away with. James 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's what we've been speaking about today. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith, the more that you have to cling to God in the struggle and the wrestle of the questions of this life, the more that you have to cling to God, the stronger it gets. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. You know, faith is meant to be tested. And if you're experiencing testing for your faith today, there's an opportunity for growth. Do you realize that? There's an opportunity for growth that you're experiencing right here, right now. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Everybody say Shigianoth. Is that a funny word? I'll tell you what it means. Shigianoth, here's my favorite definition. Perhaps a wildly passionate song with rapid changes of rhythm. Isn't that a good definition? Perhaps a wildly passionate, emotionally charged, frustrated, trying to understand and grasp the concerns of life song that is constantly changing its tempo and rhythm. It'd be hard to sing, wouldn't it? Some of you are trying to sing that song right now in your struggle. And the timing's all over the place. It doesn't sound very pretty, but boy, it is wildly passionate and emotional. And you're pouring your heart out there. This is what Habakkuk does. You see, Habakkuk gets to the point. I want to leave you with a little picture here. I don't want to leave uh, Pastor Steve's comments from last week, unwarranted here. Here's what tends to happen. We see our problem. Can you read that? We see our problem, and then we see God. And when we try and add God to the situation, he's kind of hidden behind the problem, isn't he? Look at what Habakkuk does. He sings this song. Verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Have you ever gotten into times in your life where you forget the goodness of God that you've experienced in other times of your life? Do you ever get into struggles and your head gets buried so deep that you forget to look up, look around, and see the blessings of God that are in your life? The goodness of God. Habakkuk says, revive it. Help me to remember it. God, help me to remember that you are good. He sings this song. Verse 3, wildly passionate. The tempo is changing. I don't know if he was a good singer. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Pera, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens. We can't fix the ozone layer, but God's splendor covers our heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. Verse 4, his brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands, and there he veiled his power. If God didn't veil his power, we would be wiped out. Moses just caught a glimpse with his cloak veiling himself of the back of God, and his face shone. The disciples were standing on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus was, was just shining bright as snow with Moses and Elijah, shining forth. God's power and glory is veiled. Verse 5, Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and he measured the earth. How do you do that? 
He looked and he shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. You might feel like it's a mountain that you're up against. And your struggle is so huge. God moves the eternal mountains. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. Try and reroute the Amazon River now. Verse 10, the mountains saw you and they writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. You know we don't have exploration data for 95% of the depths of the ocean, but they're crying the praises of the God that created them. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stand still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, the light of the sun is nothing compared to God's light and the glitter from his spear. 12, you march through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations in anger. Get this, verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah, which means think about that. Verse 14, you pierced with his arrows, his own arrows, the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. Habakkuk is singing and speaking about God's promises that heaven yet materialized. It was going to be probably 25 years before the Babylonians invaded. And then however many more years before Cyrus invaded the Babylonians. And then however many more years before God's people make it back to their land. God, Habakkuk is singing about the completion of God's promises before they took place. Is it possible to have enough faith to praise God because he is bigger than your problem that we can thank him and praise him for the answer that has not come yet? Is your God big enough to do that? Verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses. The surging of mighty waters, Pharaoh and his horses got washed away, but God's horses trample the surging sea. Verse 16, I hear in my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who've invaded us. What kind of testimony would it be to the community if we quietly waited for God's answer in our struggle? We didn't complain. We didn't blame. We didn't point the finger. We didn't run away when things got tough. But we quietly stood, embracing the goodness of God and wrestling with the questions of our struggles. Now here's what Habakkuk did, and here's what we need to do. Your problem's not bigger than God. You have to get a view of God that's bigger than your problem. So that when you come face to face, whatever it is, and I don't know what's on your heart today, you've got a struggle on your heart, and it needs to be met by the God who's bigger than any struggle. The God who can bring life where there was death. That's the God that we believe and hope and pray in today. If you don't have a God that's bigger than your struggle and your problems, what are you going to do? What's the alternative? If this doesn't make sense to you, then what's your other option? I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward this morning. We have some people who have been prepared and ready and willing to pray for you today. I'm going to invite them to come forward. They're going to stand right here at the front. Now, this is something new to my knowledge here at Faith Baptist Church, but we have people here who are willing and want to pray with you. They've been prepped and ready. They know the subject matter of Habakkuk. We've talked about it this week. They might not know all the words to say. They might not know the right way to give you hope in your struggle, but they do know the God who has given them hope in their struggles. 
And if your heart is heavy today with the subject matter that we've been talking about, I want to encourage you to take a stand and station yourself in the faithfulness of God, that you would embrace the goodness of God when life gets tough and wrestle with the life questions that we all have. Embrace the goodness and faithfulness of God today. I'm just going to close in prayer. We're going to go enjoy the cafe. Some people have to get running. We're going to have a good time of fellowship after the service. But I think we're just going to have a little music playing in the background. If you want to come forward and just have a time of prayer, whether it's for salvation, whether it's for rededication, whether it's just for saying to God, I have not been treating you like you are bigger than my problems. I need a higher view of God today. And God, I'm calling out. Show me who you are. Show me your glory, God. Show me that you are greater and gooder, if I could use that term, than all the problems and struggles in my life. I know there are people here who need that prayer today. So why don't we all stand as we pray together? And if you need prayer, please come up after this service is finished. God, we just want to thank you and praise you, Father, for who you are. And God, I sit on this stage as somebody who does not have all the answers. And I've been in so many situations where I don't have the words to speak because I don't know. But God, I know that you know. God, I know that you know there are people who are sitting here who are depressed, who are broken, who are anxious, who are stressed, who have heart conditions, who have illnesses, who have friends and family who have turned from you, who have children who are walking away and their heart bleeds and their heart breaks because of the struggle and the questions and the problems that seem to be allowed to come into their life. God, I just pray that they would seek you, the God of all mercy and grace and justice and righteousness and love, the God who created all things, knowing that you are bigger than any problem that they will ever face. God, we praise you this morning for who you are. God, if there are some folks here who have not placed their faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and they're looking at their problems and wondering, what am I going to do? I can't push these down forever. I can't run away from them forever. I need to do something about this. God, I pray they would make a stand today and they would declare that you are the Lord of their life. You are God over their problems. And the sin that is in their heart would be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And new life and new hope and new expectation would fill their hearts and their minds and their homes and their workplaces and their community. God, we want to be a church that has the message of hope for a broken and dying world filled with problems and sin and evil. And God, I pray that you would just infiltrate hearts and lives today and draw people to yourself, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need prayer, would you just come forward right now? I hope you have a great week.